for the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. We're not going to go through every single psalm. There's a lot of them, but we are going to bounce our way through. So I would encourage you for these next uh, several months to start reading the psalms. And I guess as we started the study of Revelation in Sunday school, I need to remind you that I reminded them that it's not revelations, it's just revelation. And we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms, not palms. The P is silent, so those of you who are grammarians, you need to uh, share that with other people. But we do live in troubled times, wouldn't you agree? I mean, there's a lot going on out there, and our world is kind of twisted and wound tight, and we don't know for sure what tomorrow's going to bring. It's just one of those kind of times that we live in. And if nothing else, the book of Psalms is all about trust, trusting God. You know, David knew what it meant to have a lot. He knew what it meant to be in need. He knew what it meant to be on the top of the world, and he knew what it meant to have people chasing him down for his life. And he even had an episode with Bathsheba, and things were a little bit out of sorts in his life, but he never, never quit trusting God. And if we do anything else in these next uh, few months, we'll learn how to hopefully trust God a wee bit better. Psalms chapter 1 is where we start today. It's just six verses. And I know what you're thinking, six verses, this can't be a very long sermon. <laughs> but we'll see kind of where that goes. And it's all about success, um, being able to be successful spiritually and physically. Because I think the two kind of go hand in hand, and that's what we're going to look at today. And I love the story told by Herb Miller. It comes out of the book entitled, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. He tells about two Kentucky farmers. They raised horses. And they were kind of rivals in their own sense, and they challenged each other to a race, and they were going to put their horses in a local steeplechase. That's the kind of event where horses jump over items and race that way. And one of the farmers hired a professional jockey to ride his horse. The other farmer is just going to have his boy ride. The race took off, and their two horses were in their lead. They came to the last hurdle, and both horses fell, and the jockeys were knocked off of the horse. And a professional rider, he got up and jumped on the horse as quick as he could. Because those of you who are horse racing fans, you can't win the race unless you are what? On the horse. I'm sure someone told you that, and you don't spend time at the track trying to figure that out. But, but that's kind of the rule. You have to be on the horse to win. And he crossed the finish line, and the farmer came up, and he was so mad at him. He said, what's the big deal? I won the race. And he goes, yeah, but you got on the wrong horse. <laughs> and you know, when it comes to success, it doesn't matter if we're successful if we're not right. And in our culture, we have a tendency to misunderstand what it means to be successful. And sometimes we feel like we're successful even when we do the wrong thing, and that's not what God teaches in his word. The right thing is always the right thing, right? Wrong thing is usually always the wrong thing. It's the ability to discern and to know what is right and what is wrong. So it all boils down to our definition of success. They say that everybody in the world has a basic desire, 
and that desire is to be successful. And no matter what you choose to do in life, you want to be successful. In a recent survey, 25% of Americans said that the definition of success is to have a lot of money. Some other things kind of landed pretty close to that. Satisfaction with your life. Also, being in control of your life, and I guess if you are in control of your life, you're usually pretty satisfied. The next thing that landed was having a good marriage, being really good at your job, being able to afford what's important, and having healthy and well-adjusted children. Those seem to be the things that landed in the top of that survey. Here's how Webster defines success in Webster's New World Dictionary. Success is a favorable result, the gaining of wealth and fame. Successful is defined as turning out as hoped for, having gained wealth and fame. Do you see the connecting points here? Evidently, if we're going to be successful, we need to have some wealth and we need to have some fame. They also say that connected to money is power and prestige and uh, possessions. But you know as well as I do that none of those things can bring lasting contentment. There has to be something more to that. And it has to do with our relationship with God the Father, which we connect to him through Jesus the Son. So it doesn't matter how much you earn, doesn't matter how much you have, it doesn't matter who you are if you're not happy then you probably would not be considered successful. Most of you know I was gone last week. Debbie and I were up in Champaign watching two of our little grandbabies. And Matt and Lindsay left um, Saturday morning early for San Diego. And one of his friends, one of my friends now, called me and said, hey, I have uh, four tickets to the Illinois-Minnesota basketball game. You want them? They're on the fifth row. And I said, yeah, I think the kids would love those. (laughs) And you know, it really hurt my heart to put that fighting Illini cheerleading outfit on little Maddie. She's supposed to be a Hoosier fan. I carried pom-poms into the arena again. Somebody dropped by and gave them orange crazy hair. The hair didn't bother me. It was the cheerleading outfit on my grandbaby. When we got there, it was cold, and there were a lot of people that surrounded the arena, the State Farm arena, that's what they call it now, it's been uh, renovated, and I thought, what's all the people here for? I know it's a Big Ten basketball game, but, and come to find out, the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, have been touring Illinois, showing people their world championship trophy. Here's what cracked me up, you had to buy a ticket to the ball game to see it, and then you had to pay to see it, if you wanted to see it. So I'm thinking, they don't win very much. Weren't they successful last year? Yeah. And now they're charging people to see what they want, and they're also charging people to go watch a basketball game they probably don't want to go to. So I guess it's their definition of success and continuing down a path that others have gone before. They came out at half court at a timeout, and Preston goes, what's that? I said, ah, it's nothing. (laughs) Just nothing. So success, it all is based on how we define it and where we go after those kind of definitions, but being a success 
is modeled by David in this first psalm. Here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 1. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man. That word can be translated that way. Blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And let me just reference that again. Blessed or happy is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But this blessed or happy man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that's planted by the stream of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff or waste that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish, will end, will decease, will, you get the deal? That's the promise from God. So in this piece of scripture, at least three characteristics that I think are very prevalent that we can look at and pull out and apply to our life in 21st century Christianity. And the first characteristic of a successful man or woman is that he or she does not always follow the crowd. They have the ability to discern. Sometimes the crowd doesn't lead you down the right path. Other times it might. And I'm probably sure that you've heard it said that mercy loves what? Company. Also, the Bible seems to teach that sin also loves company. Sin leads to misery, and the miserable people tend to want everyone else to be miserable around them. And we've also heard that hurt people hurt people. The successful person has learned to reject the crowd and realize that there are times when the crowd goes the wrong way. And when it comes to the matter of right and wrong, the majority doesn't always rule. And I think parents have been trying to teach their kids this forever, right? When your children come to you and they say, but all my friends are doing it. This is what all my friends are wearing. This is what they're saying. This is what they're drinking. This is what my friends are doing. And what's your response? If all your friends were going to jump off a bridge, would you jump off with them? And they look at you right in the eye and say, you are impossible. And we are. Verse 1. The successful man, that happy man, the blessed man, it's his attitude towards following that makes all the difference in the world. It says he doesn't listen to what the crowd says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Walt Disney, have you been to the Disney's greatest place where? On earth or the happiest place on earth? That's the way they advertise their deal. Walt Disney was a genius. I mean, the man was incredible. And a lot of things that he came up with, his brother wanted nothing to do with because his brother was all about the bottom line. And when Disney was first starting his projects, there wasn't a whole lot of bottom line to be happy about. But the longer they maintained and they continued down that path, the bottom line began to rise higher and higher and higher. There was a time when his brother told him not to think of anything else. And he started kicking around the idea of Epcot, When Epcot was first established, 
my boys were little, they thought it was not fun. So they said, Dad, do we have to go to that today? Can't we just stay at the pool? That looks like the news. Well, it wasn't the news, but they had no understanding of what it really was. But we spent the day in the pool that day, and we all lived happily ever after. When he thought about the Epcot idea, he got about a handful of guys. They went to a back room in Disney property, and there he shared his idea. And it grew out of nowhere, and even with his brother's resistance, it became all that it is even today. You see, the crowd sometimes pushes us to think unconventionally. And, you know, that's not always a bad thing, but it's something to be wary of. For instance, if you're unhappy in your marriage, what does the world say? Walk away. Divorce. It's not that big deal. You might as well do it now and get it over with. That's what the world teaches, right? Not so much the word, but the world. If you're in a relationship and your girlfriend is now expecting a child, you haven't married, what does the world say? Abort. If you do have the child, at least put it up for adoption, but just walk away. That's not what, you're too young for this. If you're wrestling with some kind of temptation, and you know you shouldn't go down that path, but what does the world teach? The world says, do what you want to do, just don't get what? Don't get caught. Overall, the crowd's advice is, your happiness comes first, so take care of yourself, and then let the chips fall where they may. If you want to be successful, you can't always listen to the crowd, because the crowd's not always always right. They say there's strength in numbers, but that still doesn't make something right. Blessed is the man or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. As we grow up, we have a tendency to take the path of least resistance, right? The easy way. Anybody here ever hear of cliff notes? (laughs) It's the path of least resistance. Don't have time to get this book read, but if I get the cliff notes, this might help me through the test. You know, my, those of you who don't know anything about cliff notes, bless you. You're on the right path. I read about a Colorado senator. The article was about a televised congregational, or congregational, congressional hearing. It was on taxing nightclubs in Colorado. In fact, one of the nightclubs that was mentioned was 21 Club. When this senator was talking about 21 Club, he called it 22 Club, 23 Club, 20-something Club. After his spiel on TV, his aide said, why why didn't you get that right? We've been there many times. And he said, I know, but in politics, you can't afford to be too knowledgeable of things like that. So he was trying to present an image that he wasn't. Anybody here ever try to do that? Maybe you go somewhere, you know you shouldn't be there. Maybe you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're connected with a group of people that pull you far away from church or from Jesus or from the cross, and you try to justify it with everything and all things. You see, a person that's going to be successful spiritually and physically 
is one who understands that he should or she should not always follow the crowd. There's a saying that goes, he who runs fastest runs alone. And a lot of times a successful person is going to be by themselves, alone, on the outside, looking in. Maybe not the most popular, maybe not the most qualified, but connected in a way that pleases the Father. This piece of Scripture also says that a successful person, be it he or she, they have a one-tracked mind. Verse 2 says, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law they meditate day and night. I got to tell you, I've been away for a week. I am way behind in my Bible reading. You know, those of you who are trying to read through the Bible, I am way behind. When I was at the grandkids, they blamed everything on Poppy. If they spilt something, if they got in trouble, they always pointed their finger at me. I'm blaming my Bible reading on those little kids. And all the people said, suck it up, big boy. So today I'm going to try to catch up. i got a ways to go. I haven't been really meditating or reading the way I should have been. Maybe you're there too. Maybe this is a catch-up day for you, but it seems to be the source of less resistance. We don't always do what we ought to do when we ought to do it, do we? Those who are successful know the difference between right and wrong, who to blame and who not to blame. And when we do something wrong, we have a tendency to blame anyone and everyone, don't we? Except for who? Ourselves. I love this story. This guy bought a bunch of expensive cigars. They were Cuban cigars. After he purchased them, now catch this, he insured them all against fire. Okay? When he smoked all the cigars... He made a claim to the insurance company, and they denied paying his claim. So he sued the insurance company for not paying him for smoking his cigars. Only in America. A judge heard the case and decided that the insurance company was legally responsible, and they had no choice but to pay. I mean, seriously. So they brought the check over to him, and when they handed him the check, and when he took the check, they arrested him for arson. <laughs> Only in America could that kind of thing happen, and you get paid for what you do, right or wrong. There is an answer, and we have a tendency to go against that. The successful man knows what's right and wrong, and he has a tendency to, more times than not, make the right choice, not the wrong choice. Real success means knowing God's will and doing it. Meditating on God's law allows us to uh, dominate our thoughts with what is right and what is good. One more thing, and then we're done. The successful man doesn't always follow the crowd. He has a one-track mind. He can focus. Remember those old Karate Kids movie when Mr. Miyagi said, what? Focus, Danielson, focus. The important is always the important. And our ability not to focus would probably drive Mr. Miyagi a little bit crazy. And we have a tendency to live life that way. This man or woman also has a weather-resistant faith. Here's what verses 3 and 4 say. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. A strong tree, been there for a long time. 
which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff or waste that is blown away. Now, before we go much further, I need to explain this because some places preach and teach kind of a, uh, uh, a, a mentality and a theology that's not accurate. The Bible doesn't promise that once you become a Christian, you have a soft, easy life. Some people preach and teach that. It does promise that there will be times when we will face wind and rain. There will be times when uh, uh, days will be of drought. There will be times that we will have to endure scorching heat and also bitter cold. Around here, it's kind of like all in a week, you know. Did you know it was 99 in Oklahoma yesterday? Interesting. But you know, Christians still get tooth decay, don't they? Let me look down here at my hygienist. They still get tooth decay. Still have to do the floss thing. Yeah, because Christians still get that. Christians still get the flu. They still get colds. They still get cancer. They still have accidents. They We are not promised an easy, soft life. What we are promised is that God will help us through the storms, through the difficulties. He may not take the storm away. He might. That's up to him, but he will help us through the storm. That's what the Bible seems to point its finger at today. Not too long ago, the firemen of Fairfax County, Virginia, they got new fire helmets. Greatest thing in the world. The ones that they had were borrowed. They were pretty old, looked kind of rough, and they said these new helmets, they said they were irregular. But you know, who looks at a fireman's helmet? They said they looked good, they were colorful, they were made of high-impact plastic, size-adjustable, scuff-resistant. The only problem, when they went to a fire, they found out when they got close to the heat, their helmets began to melt. What good is that? I mean, if you're a fireman, you've got this thing going on. The problem with the faith of a lot of people is that they can't resist the difficulty of the day. I know you're going to find this hard to believe with my grandkids, but we witnessed some meltdowns this week. Most of them were mine. (laughs) Debbie just said, hey, Jerry, get over it. Be patient. Suck it up. And I tried to do better, you know. Have you ever had a meltdown because of your health or because of your finances or because of your job or because of your relationship or because of, because of, because? Have you ever been there? Maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for, have you ever had a bad year? Understand those who are successful spiritually and physically, they are ones who do their best to determine and do God's will. They can't be successful if they always follow the crowd. They can't be successful if they have a, a scattered mind and not laser-focused on pleasing the Father. And you can't be successful without a resistant faith. It just doesn't work that way. Got home last night, had no problem going to sleep. One thing I really wanted to do was watch the Warriors play the Oklahoma Thunder. Anybody see that game last night? See, Kevin Durant was coming back to Oklahoma. First time he's been back since he jumped ship and went 
to the enemies. So he was coming back to Oklahoma, and I saw it on ESPN this morning in about 15 seconds. They booed him off the court almost. I mean, it was loud. It was horrendous. There were more negative signs and bad things being said to him. However, Golden State beat him by at least 15 or 20. He says, it's just a game. That's what people, if you can't take the heat, what? Stay out of the kitchen. I think that's the message that we have today. God wants to help us through the heat. And he wants everybody to be successful, but we have to understand how to do things God's way. One thing that my grandkids really like to do is snuggle. I could be in a chair, and before I knew it, they were both in the same chair, trying to get as high up on me as they could. I mean, right in my, right in my face. If I was on the couch, that was like being a beanbag. And they were on top of me, and I would say, hey, it's time for snacks. Maddie Grace said, puppy, I feed you. I had Cheerios up my nose and my ear everywhere. You know, it's just not a good thing. But they really like to have that closeness. If you lay down on the floor, all bets are off. You are like dead meat in seconds. And you know, that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants to be so connected. He wants to be so close to us that you can feel his breath, that he can care for you. And when you're going through a hard time, that's what God wants to be. You know, that's what communion is for us every Sunday. A time when we can get as close as we possibly can to God. A time when we can uh, hear his voice. We can feel his breath. We know that he is doing all that he can to help us through our, our life. A time to ask him for forgiveness. A time to celebrate the joy Preston brought home a pink slip from school. Usually a pink slip's not a good thing, is it? I said, Preston, what does that mean? And he said, my music teacher said I was good today. I said, well, that's pretty cool. Maybe you should write her one back, and then she'll give you one every day. You are the best teacher ever. So we had to celebrate. So on the way home from school, we stopped for ice cream. I thought that was a good plan. He said, my mama never lets me get ice cream after school. I said, she's not here. <laughs> lunch was kind of a special thing, too. One day he took a Pop-Tart in his lunch, and he said, lunch was my favorite thing today. I had a Pop-Tart. The next day there were some Oreos, some chocolate cookies. My mama never packs that for me, Poppy. When I left, he said, would you pack my lunch Monday for me <laughs> before you leave? I mean, God wants to be that kind of poppy to us. He wants to bless us. He wants to surprise us. He wants to cradle us in his arms. All we have to do is do the best that we can to live our life for him. If you are new here and maybe first time you've been in church for a while, I want you to understand that the book of Psalms is going to speak to us all in a very real way. So don't tell me I'm stepping on your toes, because I'm probably stepping on my toes too. Just say, ouch. <laughs> I know what you mean. Let's, let's pray. Father God, 
you are indeed a good God, and we thank